Hello everybody, welcome to the Wicked Side. This is Brenna speaking, and uh, today I've got another special guest with me. And uh, I actually have my mom with me, so mom, you want to say hi? Hi everybody, I'm Beverly, and yes, I'm Brenna's mommy. And I'm so excited to be here with her tonight. I just, I can't even begin to tell you how excited I am. (laughs) Yeah, she's been pretty excited all day, it's adorable. (laughs) So just to make some announcements, I am still doing the search for uh, anybody who wants to be on the show and uh, kind of wants to be a guest host too. All you have to do is you can email me at uh, wickedmythpodcast at gmail.com or you can message me on the Wicked side uh, on Instagram and I'll uh, get back to you. We can see about uh, me telling you a story from history. Should be fun. Today's topic, you actually picked I did pick it. Uh, a few nights ago, or actually last weekend, mm-hmm. Ron decided uh, we were going to watch some movies, and it was his turn to pick, so he picked The Wind Talkers, um, a Nicolas Cage movie from 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. It actually didn't do that well at the box office. I had never seen it. He put it on, and we both love history, and I bawled all the way through it. <laughs> Brenna and I knew that we wanted to do a podcast together. We're trying to find a topic. And I called her in the middle of the movie, bawling my head off, and said, I know what I want to do. Did. <laughs> I, did. I, I was bawling. I said, I know what I want to do the podcast on. I want to I want to talk about the code talkers, the wind talkers. I think that they are unsung heroes that deserve our utmost respect, the dignity, the uh, just everything that we have to give them. They, these men showed valor and, oh my gosh, uncommon bravery that I can't even imagine and yeah. got no respect, nope. no, nothing for what they did. And I actually go over why it went to so long mm-hmm. um, yeah. without people knowing about their role. Well, yeah, because it was, they had to keep it secret for so long in order, yeah, it was classified yeah. for until like the 1980s. 80s? Um, it was uh, 1968. Actually. 1968, okay. Yeah, 1968. Because they had to keep it classified. Because if they had to use it again, that they they could. It was a recourse, a resource that they needed to keep safe. Yeah. Um, but it was just it just moved me, and I know the characters were fictional to a point, but they were real, not real people in the sense that they portrayed real people, but they were real people. That the movie, you know, mm-hmm. was, you know, and I, it just, it just touched my heart in so many ways that these men who had been abused by our government for years and years and years and disrespected and shoved around and disowned and embarrassed and humiliated stood up for the America, the land that they loved and, and volunteered to do this for our country and mm-hmm. the honor and respect and dignity and everything that they showed for for our country it just touched my heart and I'm like we've got to talk about we've got to talk about them they deserve yeah. to be brought back to the forefront no I definitely agree and that's what we like doing here on the podcast is we like bringing forward people from history that maybe don't get enough attention you know I felt like that very much with Francis Glessner Lee because or Francis Lee Glessner I always mix those last two up <laughs> Uh, but I always, I felt strongly with her, especially being America's first police chief, mm-hmm. you know? Definitely. I'm granted it was an honorary title, but mm-hmm. that still matters. Mm-hmm. 
There's you know? she, was she the lady that made the dioramas? Yes. That was an interesting podcast. I loved that podcast. I actually listened I to it like three different times. Really? Because I wanted, <laughs> there was just so much detail in there and just, and I looked her up and I looked at everything. It was just really interesting. They're I really learned a lot. Neat, aren't they? Yes. And it, what baffles me is she didn't consider herself an artist and I'm like, how? Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the, this detailed, gorgeous work and all the effort she put into them. And, I mean, they're gruesome <laughs> sometimes, but there's just no denying the skill that was involved no, with it. No, so, it's incredible. Yeah. I like those uh, I like those stories. I do, too. I do, too. You know? I think there are more people that need to be talked about, and eventually we'll get to it. More events, you know? I had, really, I had a lot of fun doing the Bath Michigan one, too, just because that one was so close to home, you know? And um, the same with uh, the Gonzalez family. Mm-hmm. That one, I, I like doing the local stuff, too. That's been, I don't know, there's something interesting about that. Yeah, the so. Bath, Michigan one, when when Brenda did that, did not realize that I grew up in that county, the Montcalm yeah, County. I didn't know. I grew up in Greenville, Michigan, which is maybe an hour and a half, two hours away so from did, that. Have so you, had you heard of this? Um, I had heard, like, little snippets of it, but mm-hmm. not in the detail that you went into, you know, because, okay. you know, I was just a kid. I had other things to do, you know. and Yeah, so something I'll, you kind of heard in passing. Yeah, but, exactly, okay. but not to the detail. But, yeah, I grew up in Montcalm County, so that's cool. kind of, now as an adult, I can go back and, wow, yeah. that's interesting. I really want to make a trip out to that park, mm-hmm. to Memorial Park. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm thinking at some point of doing that. There you go. Just if only to see the Coppola. Mm-hmm. So really. I think that'd be really neat. So might as well get into it. I did quite a bit of research looking at kind of the broad expansion because the Wind Talkers movie mainly focused on the Navajo. Mm-hmm. But the Navajo were not the only tribes involved. Right. And we actually will go a little back and kind of uh, go into the origins of where it all comes from. So here we go. So it's 1942 and the world's at war. Every corner of the planet is feeling the impact this mass of this massive confrontation of international powers. There's nowhere to go and nothing you can do to remain untouched by it. No matter who you are, you feel the rippling effects in one way or another, some good and some bad. For some, it's unity and a fierce sense of patriotism. For others, it's fear, cages, loss, destruction, and death. And the longer the war goes on, the more people fall into both categories. Nazi Germany was at its peak during this time. Terrifyingly, they were dominating the Northern European war front. January alone was full of major historical events, and I I just can't go over all of them. Mm-mm. There was so many just in January, and it was a it was amazing because it was like a domino effect. Just to look back and actually see it laid out. Mm-hmm. Incident by incident. So I only I only picked a few to talk about. January 1st was the signing of the declaration by the United Nations, by China, the UK, the US, and 23 other nations. Part of the declaration was an agreement that each country would, quote, not, were not to make any separate peace with the excess powers. So no trade deals, nothing like that. No kind of negotiating with them. And that's, um, that means declaration of war, mm-hmm. you know. On January 7th, the siege of the Bataan Peninsula began, and that, of course, is the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Uh, many people have probably heard of the, the Bataan Death March, mm-hmm. you know, horrific. And on the 26th, the first American forces arrive in Europe, landing in in Northern Ireland. And that's just some of the major events from January. And you know, you hear a lot about the southern part of the World War, mm-hmm. but you don't hear about it in Ireland. 
And in places like that. Yeah, you, it is you true. You hear think about, about it being that. more like in England and London. And, and, well, more Philippines and, and, and more in that area. Be, yeah. You know, in, in, the in China. Sun, yeah, and and Japan and stuff like that. But you don't hear a lot about it in Ireland. But it, mm-hmm. it touched everything. Yeah. It did. I know I have a thing for British documentaries and TV. <laughs> So, and they're constantly referencing, mm-hmm. like, the air raids and things mm-hmm. like that that happened during this time. And just the thought of, like, sitting in your home at dinner and hearing that sound mm-hmm. has to be just terrifying. Just, yeah. To not know if you and your family are going to be safe. Yes. To not know if the bunker you built is going to, you know, Understand. hold. Yeah. You know, to not know if your children, you know. And knowing that they sent their children away to safe places that weren't being, that weren't targeted or weren't being attacked. And I I think about that frequently and I just, I don't know. I don't know if I could send my babies away. That'd be, that'd be incredibly hard. Yep. And I found um, something online one time that showed pictures Mm -hmm. of the skyline before and after pictures Mm -hmm. of London, you know, this before and then one week later. Yeah. And there's just nothing there. It's just. I know. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? Is it is heartbreaking. Think it's of just how much history, just... too. I mean, the loss of life, obviously, yes. is, is the the major loss, but, like, how much history we lost yeah. during that time, yeah, too. Yeah, those buildings go back, uh, you know, to yeah. 1600s, 1500s. Some of those buildings are mm-hmm. so old and just, you know... Yeah. Andrea and I were talking about that last time, that yes. that there are bars in England that are older than our country. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's amazing. That is wild yes. to think about. It is. It is. You know? We just, it, it's the lives, but the, the history too, you know? It's, yeah. it's all heartbreaking. Uh, artwork, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much, so much was destroyed during that time. All right. So we're going to go into the beginning for uh, the Navajo. However, May would see the first 29 recruits of the special crew. Some volunteered and some were drafted, attending their first day of boot camp. These young men would become vital to many important battles. These 29 were the first Navajo code talkers, or as you might have also heard them called, the wind talkers. Their names are Charlie Y. And I'm going to try to say these. Begay. Begay. And uh, Roy L. Begay. Samuel H. Begay. So that's three men from the same family. John Ashi Benali. Will C. H. Bitsy. Kosi S. Brown. John Brown Jr. John Chi. Benjamin Cleveland. Eugene R. Crawford. David Crowley. Lolan S. Damon. George H. Dennison. James Dixon. Carl N. Gorman. Oscar B. Ithma? Ithma. Mm-hmm. Alan Dale June. Alfred Leonard. Johnny R. Manuelito. Manuelito, I think you're right. William McCabe. Chester Nez. Jack Nez. Lloyd Oliver. Joe Palmer. Frank Denny Pete. Nelson S. Thompson. Harry Totsi. Mm-hmm. John Willie. And William Dean Wilson. Yeah. I wanted to have their names in there. I kind of felt like they that need was that honor. important. It's very important. They need that honor and that recognition. I mean, and like you said, a lot of them have the same surname. Mm-hmm. So it's family. Yeah, they're related. And can you imagine send not just sending one, but several of your family members off to war for a country that hates you? Mm-hmm. 
that spits on you, that puts you on a small piece of ground because they don't want to look at you. They don't acknowledge you. Yep. Oh my gosh. The worst ground they could possibly find to put you on yes. too. Yeah. But what, but but in a way, they, they sent them kind of back to their ceremonial ground and they didn't even realize they did it. Mm-hmm. And they were they didn't say anything because they knew if they, America realized they sent them back to this cherished ground, they'd probably take it away. So they kept their mouth shut. Yeah. In a way, you know. It, Which, as sad as that is, is probably the smartest thing they could have done. Yeah, exactly. So, there's a lot of... Um, Makes me hang my head in sham. Yeah. It really does. And what they were doing to children of Native Americans around this time, too, was really key. Because a lot of these soldiers were removed from their families at a young age and put in what they called boarding schools. Yes. And they, they weren't boarding schools. They couldn't talk their native language. They were nope. put in a cell because they were trying to talk their native language. And Which they is were speaking the English. irony of all yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. They, here they are being punished for talking their native language. And now all of a sudden their native language is saving all of these people's butts in Washington. And all of our butts out here yep. in La La Land. And it's just so sad. Yeah. The camps were, they were just, I mean, they, that's what they were. They were re-education camps. Mm-hmm. They couldn't practice anything of cultural significance to mm-hmm. them. They were basically taught to be westernized European white settlers. It, yeah. it was just Not who they horrific. Are. No. And I know it's still a problem today that many tribes are worried about losing their languages because fewer and fewer people speak them within the tribes. It's very sad. Yeah. Be proud. Be who you are. Um, Ron and I um, took a trip a few years ago up to Flint, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went to a waterfall up there. It was uh, a cement waterfall of mm-hmm. different um, geo... Um, what's the word? Ge- ge- Geometric? Yeah, geometrical shapes. Okay. Um, and while we were there, we heard some music. And there was a tribe there mm-hmm. in full regale dress music and doing a ceremonial dance mm-hmm. and we sat there and listened to it and watched them and it was the most beautiful awe inspiring thing i have ever seen in my life i just i felt like i had been transported to another plane i just i could not have a semi could have drove driven between you know, right next to me within inches of me and I would not have noticed it. Yeah. It was just so beautiful. The song they were singing, the music they were playing and the dance that they were doing, I did not want it to end. It was, I was so blessed to be able to watch that. It was just, and we were just the right place, the right time. Yeah. It was just, I did not want it to end. It was just mystical, mythical, beautiful, magical. I just... I didn't want it to end. I yeah. don't know what tribe they were. I I was just I was so honored. Yeah, I follow a lot of a lot of Native Americans on TikTok actually, uh-huh. and they share a lot of like history and stories that we don't get otherwise. You know, I think we were talking about this earlier. Is that just there's a big disconnect, and and I think it's the one way that social media has kind of done something great is that it's giving a voice to people who haven't had a voice. Correct. Yeah. You know. And it's up to us whether or not to listen, right. you know, um, but it's, it's been great. I've, I've learned a lot and to see the different kinds of dances and to know that there's different significance mm-hmm. and different styles. And it's, it's mm-hmm. really neat. It's very, very cool. Um, the one guy in particular that I follow is uh, Cree. So that's something really interesting. It's weird because sometimes it feels like a totally different separate thing you know and it's not you know they're americans too but there's a disconnect and that needs to not be there yeah 
you know, yeah. part of that is, is gotta be, we've got to start honoring. <laughs> oh, we have to, we have honoring to. the treaties and respecting their land and we, what they want to do with their land. We need to lift them up. We need to lift them up and, and empower them and just honor them because there's so, so much dignity and integrity mm-hmm. in these people and their fam, their families, their traditions, just everything. And if anybody's listening, I want to try fry bread. <laughs> yes. I want. <laughs> Look, I want to try. We're I, Irish. We're fans of carbs. I just. <laughs> I, I just read a whole series of books that was set out west, and the author had done a lot of studying mm-hmm. and a lot of background material. And I want to try fry bread. I'm, <laughs> I just, and this was several series of books ago, and I cannot get fry bry out of my head. <laughs> I know, I know. Sometimes that that happens. Um, I don't like when I was. Uh, you remember when I was in high school and I was studying Japanese. Mm-hmm. My my um. My sensei should talk frequently, like about different foods and like street foods, especially are huge, you know, there. And she would talk about all these different street foods that they had. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I need to go now. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> if only to try it. Next plane to Japan, please. <laughs> yes, definitely. So my next talking point is now it's very important to note that the Navajo were not the first or only code code talkers for the United States military. During World War I, 19 Choctaw soldiers were used to send encrypted messages. The Germans were so baffled by the messages and the language because they'd never heard it. And some thought the messages were actually recorded with some sort of device underwater. Because <laughs> they, they were so unfamiliar with the sounds, uh-huh. you know, which is hilarious to me. <laughs> it is. It's very tonal, isn't it? Yes. Yes. It's a bit, it like, is a tonal language. Yeah. Like, like Chinese is tonal. Mm-hmm. Um, Thai. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can say the same two letters, but the way that the tone is, it means mm-hmm. different things. Yep. So that makes a lot of sense. I mean, and like many Native American languages at the time, they didn't have a written form right. of the language, which I imagine, especially then, makes it much more difficult to learn. Right. So they didn't have Wikipedia. Yeah, they, did not. <laughs> they, they didn't have anything to look up. They didn't have YouTube. <laughs> I can't even imagine. The first combat test of a Native American language used as a code for the United States Army occurred October 26th of 1918 in France. In order, it order, was an order for two companies to withdraw. A German POW later said that the language was so affected it even rendered their wiretaps useless. Wow. Yeah, because they were if they were speaking around the wiretaps, mm-hmm. they still couldn't understand it. That's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. The first 19 were Albert Billy, Mitchell Bob. Victor Brown, Ben Carterby, Benjamin Franklin Colbert, George Edwin Davenport, Joseph Harvey Davenport, James Gibson Morris Edwards, Tobias William Frazier, Benjamin Wilburn Hampton, Noel Johnson, Otis Wilson Leader, that's part of his name, Owen Will- Otis Wilson Leader, sorry, Solomon Bond Lewis, Pete Maytubby, Jeff Nelson, Jose Oklahombe, Robert Taylor, Charles Walter Veach, and Calvin Wilson. And also of note, um, in particular, Joseph Oklahombe is Oklahoma's most decorated war hero to this day. His medals are displayed at the Oklahoma Historical Society in Oklahoma City. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. 
I did not know that about the Choctaw. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. And they were also in World War II. They were used again. I so. did not know that. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Thank you to them and their families. Yeah, I think um, they've all passed since then. Well, I'm sure so, they yeah. have, but their families. Well, yes. If their families are out there, <laughs> thank you very much. And... I know, but I know that they, um, the last one, it wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. So, um, but the same for World War II. Uh, Now, World War II presented a different problem for Allied forces. By this time, Japanese scholars had begun to study Native American languages. Despite this, the languages were still very effective. Navajo, Choctaw, Hopi, and Comanche all lent their languages and young men to the war efforts. The credit for the idea to use Navajo, the Navajo language is given to a missionary who worked with the Navajo tribes, Mm -hmm. a man named Philip Johnson. But getting Navajo troops was tricky. As I said earlier, some volunteered and some were drafted, and some forged papers that officials looked the other way on. Uh, some of the recruits were actually as young as 15. I heard that. Yeah. I did I did read that. That is how old my son currently is. Exactly. Can you imagine? No. no. I don't want to. No. Uh-uh. That is terrifying. It, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, as, as a mother, I just mm, no, I don't mm-hmm. like that thought. No. I don't like that thought at all. Um, now, the recruits had to create the code themselves. They did this by creating a system that used two types of code. Type 2 codes were direct translations, and type 1 codes used what they called substitutes. This meant every letter of the American English alphabet was assigned a Navajo word. For example, if you wanted to spell the word code, you would do it like this. For the first letter, C... They would use a Navajo, the Navajo word for cat, which is mosi. Now that is the only Navajo word I'm going to attempt to pronounce. <laughs> I have them actually written down and I tried to sound them out phonetically, but I, I cannot like wrap my mouth around it and, and, and get it right. And because inflection is so important, I don't want to accidentally say something and <laughs> insult anyone or, you know, an entire nation of people. So opting out <laughs> because we do honor you so much we are not going to butcher your language yeah. no yeah. but i it's brilliant it is brilliant know? it is so brilliant yeah they did they they used for each letter of a word mm-hmm. they used another word yeah so they and so you knew you know it's you know for you know cat on a tree mm-hmm. so <laughs> it was so it was cat on a tree yep. which meant coat you know and so they that's how they got mm-hmm. and yeah. they had um they even had like different um like animal names for different planes and right. things like that well and... like i think for in the movie they i don't know and i don't know if this was you know especially true but that like for tank they used the word turtle mm-hmm. you know and you know, so they yeah in my research they did say that that was a problem um they found well the choctaw first mm-hmm. during world war one is that there was words that the military needed that didn't exist in the, in the language exactly you know so they had to make up different terms mm-hmm. for it mm-hmm. so i know um i think for like heavy artillery it was like big gun or mm-hmm. for like machine guns it was small gun that goes fast or mm-hmm. something like that mm-hmm. Yeah, so they had to make alternate terms, which would already, you know, be confusing. Right, right. You know, uh, I thought that was really kind of interesting. Yeah. That actually brings me to another reason why Navajo was such 
an effective language, and that's what we discussed earlier, is that it's a tonal language, meaning the difference in pitch and inflection will change the meaning of the word entirely. So you have to pronounce it just right, hence why I'm not going to try. <laughs> so, And that also made the code talker's record of accuracy absolutely just amazing and stunning. So it will get to that in, in a bit because the accuracy... You know, lives hang in the balance yes. and all that stress, and they're still pinpoint accurate every single time. Yeah, bullets are whizzing <laughs> past their head and gunfire is going off and everything else, and they are doing this. A tonal language. <laughs> yeah, and they're picking up on this and, you know. During battle, yeah. When I was reading, doing the research on it, I mean, I read it like 10 times because I was just, that can't be right. That mm -hmm. cannot be right. Holy cow. I know it's impressive. It is. Yeah. The code talkers memorized all the substitutes during training and were able to code, send, and decode messages in as little as two minutes during drills, according to the CIA. Roughly 400 Navajos were code talkers during World War II. One of the very important battles the Navajo were instrumental in helping the U.S. claim victory was the Battle of Iwo Jima. Over 800 messages were sent back and forth that day without a single mistake. Isn't that amazing? 800 messages. Yep. Not one mistake. No, it's not a day, though. It was a right. Longer than I, I, that was a mistake in the script. Apologies. But, but yes. But 800 messages, not mm -hmm. one mistake. But can you imagine what one mistake could have cost us? Yeah. Yep. One mistake could have turned the tide. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Very. Major Howard Connor, who was the signal officer for the code talkers at Iwo Jima, said, were it not for the Navajos, the Marines would never have taken Iwo Jima. Mm. Pretty big statement. That's amazing. <laughs> and to give them that credit. Mm-hmm. So, of course, we should also clarify that Navajos were not just code talkers, but also regular soldiers as well. Mm -hmm. One man in particular named Joe Kiyumia, or Kiyumia? Kiyumia. I'm not entirely certain how to pronounce that, and I apologize Kiyumia? for sure. I think that's Kiyumia? it. When I was listening to them say it, it almost sounded like there was an additional syllable in it that I wasn't quite able to, mm -hmm. again, wrap my head around. Was a Navajo soldier in New Mexico's 200th Coast Artillery Unit. Joe was captured by the Imperial Japanese Army after the fall of the Philippines in 1942. The Japanese recognized him as Navajo and sent him to a prison in Japan. However, Joe was not a code talker, so despite him being, you know, having full knowledge of the language, he couldn't make sense of the messages. He was just as confused by them as the Japanese were. Unfortunately, this meant Joe was held for months and tortured because they didn't believe him. That just makes my blood run cold. Just makes my heart hurt. He survived the Bataan Death March and being a POW in Japan. And because apparently this man has the best worst luck, uh, he was in Nagasaki during the drop of the atomic bomb and survived it because of how thick his cell walls were. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Because apparently Joe is a badass. <laughs> Joe just... Wow. It was just not Joe's time. And nope. So what happened to Joe? He was eventually released. But, he was rescued. But where did he wind up? I don't where know. Where did he... I wasn't able to find much more. 
unfortunately. Oh, um, no. We can't end it here. We got to find out what happened. <laughs> we, we got to do another. We got to follow up on him. And up until I read this, I actually never considered the possibility of American POWs being caught in the crossfire of the atomic bombs. It never crossed my mind. And that's like, we went to the museum in D.C. Right. And we saw the the Enola Gay Mm -hmm. and that felt heavy. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember being a child and standing in the room with that plane and feeling Mm -hmm. like it just felt heavy. Mm -hmm. It felt dark. Mm -hmm. You know, It, It it didn't feel good being in that room. Yeah. Especially knowing what happened, mm-hmm. you knowing know, knowing what it did, yeah. But I just, I, I guess I, I never considered that American soldiers also were lost. Yes. So it turns out one British POW, seven Dutch POWs, and twelve American POWs also died from the bombs dropped on mm-hmm. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Mm-hmm. And as we were talking earlier, I have a friend, a Japanese pen pal. Mm-hmm. I am almost 58 years old. Her and I started writing when we were nine years old. Mm-hmm. She lives in Oita, Japan, and her father was in Nagasaki when the bomb was dropped. Ugh. And he is, you know, he, he passed away recently, but um, he, him and his family survived. He had to be pretty young. He was very young. Yes, he was yeah. very young. Her parents were older, mm. but uh, yeah, he was very young. He was so, yep. Mm. Joe was lo- later quoted as saying, I salute the code talkers, and even if I knew about their code, I wouldn't have told the Japanese. Bless his heart. When they did get to return home, all the code talkers and the tribes received no acknowledgement. No, they didn't. The public recognition, or they got no public recognition for the role that they played. In the war, because as I said earlier, the information was classified until 1968. So it wasn't until the 70s that it really came out to the American public the importance of of what these people did and how very vital it was to our success. Mm -hmm. They should have had a parade. (sighs) Something. (laughs) Unfortunately, you know, that's the one thing I think we can agree on no matter what side we're on is that... As great as this country is, we do not treat our veterans right. We don't. No, we don't. That's something hopefully we We can change. Um, My dad is a veteran. Yeah. My husband's father, Air Force. Mm -hmm. My children's grandfather was Coast Guard. Mm -hmm. And um, your grandfather, Mm -hmm. Danny. So, yeah. Yeah, Grandpa Jim. And they just, they don't treat them right. They're heroes. They should be set up for life. They shouldn't have to worry about a doggone thing the rest of their lives. And it just makes me madder than a wet hen when I see them struggling for just basic life needs. And it just... <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And the fact that that's, they still don't take mental health seriously with soldiers. No, and that don't. it's it's one of the leading causes of death for veterans is suicide. Yep. And it's... It just breaks me Heartbreaking. Up. It's gut-wrenching. I, I just, I, it makes me so angry. So as I said, no one knew of the vital role they played for a very long time. And even after, they didn't receive the recognition from the United States government until 2001. That's where I was getting that number from. And yep. I do realize why they, on some level, why they wanted to keep it a secret. Yeah, but why did it take from the 70s to the 2000s? That, that I don't understand. But I understand yeah. to the 70s at least. Yeah. You know, in case something bubbled back up. Mm-hmm. Um, because in the 20, year, 20 years, while it may seem like a long time for recognition, isn't that long in a war setting, you know, type of thing. 
especially I feel like after when you're trying to rebuild and, yeah, and find exactly. the it's a yeah. long time coming. Um, then President George W. Bush recognized their roles with gold and silver congressional medals. From what I understand, all of the original, all of the original 29, thank you, all of the original 29 received medals. That's awesome. Yes. They should go back to World War One too, in the 19 Choctaw. They did get medals, too. Did they? Awesome. Yeah. Um, okay, I, I, they I do believe so, yep. Now, as I said... The Navajo were not the only code talkers. I found a great video on YouTube that I fully recommend everybody watch. It's by the Comanche National Museum called Code of Honor, and I can't recommend it enough. I think it's about a half an hour long, and it talks over the Comanche's role as code talkers. It even interviews one of their widows, but a young man who, who got very close to one of the surviving veterans. And when the veteran passed, he passed all of his stuff to this young man to carry oh, on the wow. story. Wonderful. And that's such a legacy. What a beautiful gift. Yeah. Yep. That's incredible. That it is was incredible. very much. I learned a lot from this video. I'll share some of it, but I do fully encourage everybody to go out, find this video on YouTube and watch it. It is very interesting and I can't do it just justice. Uh, 17 Comanche men volunteered for the army in 1941. Despite being born in the United States, um, they were not, uh, Native Americans were not considered U.S. citizens until the Indian Citizen Act of 1924. So only 16 years before. They were fighting for a country that didn't even consider them citizens until 16 years before that war. And they didn't get any veterans benefits because the land that they lived on wasn't considered U.S. soil, so they didn't live in the United States, so they didn't get benefits. Yeah. It just makes me so mad. I just, yep. deep breath, deep breath, <laughs> deep breath. <laughs> yep. These men, like most Native American troops, had been sent to boarding schools where they were forbidden to and even punished for speaking their own language or practicing any of their cultural beliefs. These schools were an attempt to destroy Native American culture and to assimilate them into white culture without actually accepting them at all even if they did assimilate. How poetic that the language they tried so hard to destroy was later there in our saving grace. It, it's just karma. <laughs> right? It Kind of karma in reverse, I guess, you know? Yeah. The universe certainly has a funny way of uh, pulling things together sometimes. Yeah. So. I mean, you're, here you're trying to annihilate it as the very thing... That you need. That you, <laughs> at, you, know, you really need, you know? Yeah. It, it's... Yeah, be be careful what you, you know. Yeah, the burning bridges. Yeah, you exactly. Know? But aside from that, you should never, you know, obviously, you shouldn't just value someone because of what they can do for you. No. Their life should have just exactly. been valued. Their culture should have just been valued from the beginning. They should have been so. able to be who they are from the start, from the get-go. They should have yep. been... You know, in encourage. This is you. You do you. Mm -hmm. you know, like in many Native American languages at the time, Comanche also had no written form. And also Comanche code talkers were allowed to finish the typically six-week-long basic training in only two weeks because they were already so used to military-style life that they were taught in boarding schools. They already knew how to do almost everything that was taught in basic training, including how to form ranks, fold their clothes, and make their beds. Exactly how the military wants them to do. It's brainwashing. It, it was brainwashing, indoctrination, and an attempt to destroy a culture. And it's sick and it's sad. And these were babies. These were children. 
Yep. Again, I, I recommend the video. It's very interesting. It goes in depth and it has some great interviews. And what was it called? Code of Honor. Code of Honor. Okay. Yep. By the Comanche Museum. They have a channel. They have their own channel. Alrighty. So I, it, I think the video uh, actually was, it's dated back to like 2014. So it is older, but the information and the interviews are still priceless. Very valid. And yeah. Yeah. One of the widows that was interviewed during this video was actually talking about her husband and how in around the 70s, they got a letter from France wanting to honor him and the other code talkers. Code talkers. I read about that when I was doing the research. Long before their own country wanted to. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So sad. Yeah. Good for France. It is an eye-opening look into the contributions of our First Nations people, and it's deeply important that we learn these contributions. You can blame me for putting you through this. <laughs> Sorry. I just felt deeply that they needed to be honored. I I completely agree. It's, I think especially now, though, with the, the, how all the climate going on and the fight that Native Americans are having right now with the U.S. government, it hits particularly hard. Mm-hmm. You know? It does. It does. If we had come in with open hearts and humility instead of know-it-all birth of better than you attitudes Mm -hmm. how different would things have been or could have been yeah if we hadn't that's a repeating theme throughout history across the board with with all countries and, and and history is how much pride and ego has slowed us down and it does and mm-hmm. I think not even on national levels, but in personal levels. Yeah. It no, just, it's very much true. It, it does. I mean, it'll, it'll hold you back so fast. And it, we, we don't step back and say, hey, wait a minute, what what do I need to look at? You know? Yeah. Um, but it's just, but we could have learned so many things from them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, how different would our country have been, you know, if we had went that route if we had learned from them and grown with them and yep. instead of, you know, being arrogant and disrespectful and disrespectful, and cruel and, and, yeah, yeah, everything. I mean, yep. wow, it, 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 you can't even wrap your mind around it at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, how often it's happened in history. Yeah. Again, I recommend the video. It's very interesting and in depth and has some great interviews with people close to the code talkers. It's an eye-opening look at the contributions our First Nations people have generously made. And it's deeply important that we learn from these contributions, that we learn of these contributions, speak of them, and educate as many as possible. These men deserve to be acknowledged. I think it's just, it says so much to their character that they did this because of the love they have for this, the the land. Mm -hmm. Not for the way that they were treated or you know they did it for the love of the land that they had Mm -hmm. and that that's character that's honor that's beautiful and i just and not only did they do all of this but they gave up symbols that were sacred Mm -hmm. to them and stopped using them Mm -hmm. because they resembled the swastika Mm -hmm. holy rap is that mind blowing it's to the point where i know like antique dealers can date like native american artifacts based on whether or not that symbol is present right and um as you had brought up 
to there was a rumor amongst many of the code talkers that there was an unofficial order um, that the U.S. government denies was ever circulated, but um, many of the code talkers have said that they believe there were orders um, that if they were captured, they were to be killed before they fell into enemy hands. By our soldiers. By our soldiers. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, um, of course, the official stance of the U.S. government is this is not a real thing. Um, the Marines involved in that worked with the um, code talkers also deny it. But there is still rumors amongst the code talkers. And I think that that lends some huge credibility. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that makes you consider it. Uh, but it makes sense. Yeah. Because if... It would, and, and there's no way you get out of that looking like a good guy, so I can definitely see them denying it altogether and, and claiming that wasn't a thing, you know? No matter how, you know, logical your reasoning seems. So, logical is not always... Uh, I don't think anything about war is logical. No, and I agree with you on that. I, I don't. It's heart-wrenching. It's It's horrible. all chaos. Yes, and, and, you know, and if you didn't want to like these men you're within 24 7 in harrowing ugly circumstances you get to know them and you develop maybe even a grudging respect or or to like them you know and to get to know them and mm-hmm. you know how do you live with that how, how do you you pray to god that that man's not captured you know? Uh, yeah. But, I mean, over 400, you know, Navajos and that that, that did this. And, and, yeah. Hats off to these men. Hats off to their families mm-hmm. that sent them. How many? And it's important, too, that people know that they weren't the only ones. The Navajo contribution, of course, is massively important. Yes. But so is the Choctaw. Yes. So is the Hopi. So is, you know, the Comanche. Mm-hmm. You know? Definitely. Their Every contributions matter. Very much. Yeah. I do. There was some really, again, this goes back to that, to that video and and I can't recommend it enough from the Comanche Museum, but there is discussion with one of the, the veterans. They actually have video of him talking and giving like a speech and um, talking about his experiences and things like that. And and again, it's, it's just worth watching. You know, I, I can read to you all the research that, that I found, but Hearing it in their own words, mm-hmm. you know, it's just something that mm-hmm. is necessary. Definitely. Can you put a link on it? I can try. I, I've, I've been able to in the past. I think I can again. Okay. So I, I can try to um, in the description. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I, when I go to edit everything. I think so. it definitely would be worthwhile to put that link up there too. Yeah. And strongly recommend that yeah. yeah people watch it. But yeah. So that was um, what I had for the Code Talkers. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's just... Really interesting and a really overlooked um, contribution. And mm-hmm. hopefully in a little way. And how different would World War II have turned out? Without them. Yes. Yeah. I mean, because they, up to that point, had been able to crack everything that we, you know, had put up against them. I mean... And very determined, and mm-hmm. they yeah, they already had. I mean, they'd already learned from World War One exactly, and had 
Japanese scholars looking into Native American tribes and right. cultures. Exactly. Yeah. So they, yeah. So they yeah. knew that we could go a different direction. Mm-hmm. So they, like you said, they were expanding their horizons. Mm-hmm. So, and then, so we had to definitely be creative. Mm-hmm. And this, we were blessed that this worked out. So, mm-hmm. and uh, I just, just to think how it would have turned out if they had not stepped up to the plate. Yeah. Is just scary. We're very fortunate they did. Mm-hmm. Very so. much. But, yeah. All right. So that was the podcast. What'd you think? I, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> you had fun? I had a ball. Cool. I just... So I could talk you back on sometime. Oh, I would. I'll be here anytime with bells <laughs> on. I'm loving this. I'm I'm a performer anyway, so yes. you know that. Yeah. Um, I absolutely love this, and I love history. I absolutely love. I I love learning. I love mm-hmm. history. I think Brenna got her love of history for me, and uh, part of it anyway. Yeah, I was gonna so, say dad's dad. Your dad's a big history buff yeah, too. Dad's so got I a think lot we of both books that yes. I, I grew up uh, uh, reading. Yep. So particularly about um, Native Americans and uh, about World War Two. Yeah, so well, dad has a lot of cool books. Um, I don't know if Brenna knows this or, um, but uh, Brenna actually has uh, a great uncle. Mm-hmm. Well, it'd be, let me see, a great great uncle that passed away at Pearl Harbor. I do know that. Mm-hmm. I remember. Mm-hmm. I remember at one point you saying mm-hmm. something about that. Mm-hmm. He he was, he was killed at Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Okay. So, and that is uh, grandma or grandpa's side. Um, it was Nana's side. Nana's side. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was uh, Grandma Dodgen's brother. Okay. Um. So he he was killed there, and uh, so it. Okay. So, this is gonna. Not related, but kind of related because I'm genuinely curious. How many siblings did Nana have? Oh, wow. Now you're going to make me think. Um, yeah. Let's see. Because <laughs> I'm curious. Because I know there was a few. I do believe she had... There were eight living and one passed away. Okay. And my dad was the same. Mm-hmm. Eight living and one passed away. Okay. They both lost sisters as babies. Okay. Because Andrew and I kind of talked about that last time, too, about how, like, um, generationally, like, sibling groups have gotten smaller, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Although, I'm one of four, and that's kind of considered big now. Mm Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine. Yeah. Eight. Yeah. On a farm. (laughs) On a farm. No. (laughs) My three are enough. Thanks. Yeah, I was was (laughs) listening to you and Andrea discuss, you know, the farm... Mm-hmm. You know, in the log house and everything, and uh, yeah, I it did those have floors. Pictures. Did it? It did have okay. floors, but they would they could reach through the flooring and pull the chicken feathers yeah. you know, as they ran t- under the floor. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> so it did have floors, um, but they had a well out back, you know, mm-hmm. where they went and drew the water um, and everything. But yeah, and, and it did have rooms. It did have rooms. They the girls oh, had okay. their separate room. The boys had a separate room. It looked. Very tiny. It was very tiny. There wasn't so that's, a whole I lot of room. Think why yeah. I thought but it was it did. It one had, because it, had it didn't look like there was any And place it had to a walls. small <laughs> living room, and then there was a room for the boys, a room for the girls, and then Grandma and Grandpa had their room. How? So it was it was very tiny. It was very tiny, but um, uh, just thinking about mm-hmm. living though like that, like mm-hmm. I love you, but like, <laughs> and then but uh, but that was in the early part of my, uh, my mom's life, and then um. Mm-hmm. And you got to remember the kids were spread out 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so by the time um, the younger siblings came along, the older ones were married and out of the house. Okay. So then, then they moved up to the bigger house on mm-hmm. the back of the farmstead. So, so then it, you know, it was a bigger house and less children, and the mm-hmm. older ones were married and already having kids. My mom has um, nieces and nephews that are older than her. Mm. So okay, you know that's wild to think yeah, about. Yeah, isn't that neat? So, so where does Nana fall? Is she like a middle child? She's the she... um, second to the youngest. A oh, second to the youngest. Yes. Okay. okay. So she was one of the babies. Yeah, she was one of the babies. Okay. Yeah. So, and uh, she she's and now she's the only one. What about alive. Papa? Where does he fall? He's actually the baby. He's the baby. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's the okay. baby. So and that's he's, interesting. Yeah, and him and his brother now are the only ones alive. So okay, I. I Sat down um, with my cousin, and, and we had gone over, like, some of, of Grandma's genealogy, and mm-hmm. we were able to find quite a, a bit ways back, and I think I showed you mm-hmm. a bunch of that. But, yeah, the siblings were never anything we really got into because we were looking for that, you know, mm-hmm. that line mm-hmm. um, to see how far back we could go. Yeah, so. and you got back to, the, like, the 1500s. I got back to the crossing, mm, okay. um, to our to our ancestor okay. that crossed over on okay. Grandma's side. Okay. So, which um, there's a lot, there's a whole group mm-hmm. of of people actually on Facebook that um, we're gonna have joined mm-hmm. um, that we're all like kind of very very distantly related That's to. Cool. So um, it was really interesting. That's cool. Well, you know, you were talking about earlier when we mentioned the fry bread and that we're Italian and we mm-hmm. like carbs, or uh, Irish and like carbs. Mm-hmm. When I did my ancestry. Mm-hmm. We're actually Irish, are um, Italian too. Yeah, yeah, because we I re- that one surprised yes, me because there is a whole section in Italy uh-huh. that is famous for their redheads. Really? Yes. Yeah. So we are Italian redheads too. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> so I I was floored. So when I got my ancestry thing back, I'm like, man, I'm googling, you know, the heck think, out of my um, burning up my thing, looking at it, and there's a whole section in Italy for redheads. Huh, that's wild. I I think I remember looking vaguely on on dads, and um, that was really cool to just see, because I I uh, we got an ancestry account for dad, mm-hmm. and looking back and like seeing the pictures mm-hmm. that they had of, mm-hmm. of these people, like names that I'd never heard of, right? You know, and getting to see their faces, and it was cool just it to see neat. a little bit of like. Hey, that person kind of has my chin, or mm-hmm. hey, that person kind of has my eyes, or hey, that person kind of has my forehead. It was cool. You it know? is neat. It is um, really neat to kind of see yourself in these people. It is really neat. I know I have a picture of my grandpa and I mm-hmm. together, um, and he's turned and looking off to over his right shoulder, and I'm turned looking over my right shoulder up at him mm-hmm. and our chins are identical mm-hmm. it's just so unreal and i had never noticed that before but our chin is just shaped exactly the same like yeah oh my gosh you know that's so cool you know what gets me with that is is the big one is uh for sorship because her eyes her eye color is exactly the same as dad's mm-hmm so it's weird if they're standing next to each other and mm-hmm. I talk to one and then I go and I look in the eyes of the other mm-hmm. one and it's like the same eyes mm-hmm. and you have a moment of like, mm, okay, that's trippy. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's uh-huh. weird. But yeah, when you look at Sorsha, mm-hmm. you see Scott. 
Yes, yeah, she has a lot of her daddy. She has a lot of her daddy. I was watching when he I was watching her saying sing. that she looks just like me, and I'm no. like, she has a lot of me in her, but she's definitely I a her see daddy's her girl. Behaviorisms from you, mm-hmm. but her face. <laughs> yeah, she got my attitude, <laughs> and then some. <laughs> but I see, I see her face. Mm-hmm. I see Scott in yeah. her face. And I, I do too. I, uh, but when she was singing today. I, I was just thinking, <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh, she looks so much like Scott. She and does. I see more through, like, from her nose up of Scott. Just mm-hmm. that, you know, from her eyes and for, from her nose up to her eyes, that yeah. that area there is Scott. Aiden looks just yeah. like his dad. Sure and then we've got a, a picture. Again, this is, I, I love old pictures, but we've got a picture of Scott's um, grandfather. Mm-hmm. And he looks just like Aiden, Mm -hmm. very strongly like my son. It's wild. Isn't that amazing? It's wild. I remember when we first showed him that picture when he was little, Mm -hmm. uh, he thought it was him. (laughs) And it's like, no, it's an old black and white photo, son, you know? Isn't that neat? Yeah, but he was was so small at the time. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. Um, We did that, too, with a picture of Scotty from Mm -hmm. when Scotty was little, and it was the same thing. Aiden thought it was him, and Mm -hmm. it's like, no, that's your daddy. Yeah, isn't that neat? Yeah. My, um... My grandpa, Dodgen, you know, we were just talking about one of his brothers um, actually married um, a girl whose um, mother or grandmother was on the Trail of Tears. Oh, wow. um, When they sent them across into Oklahoma. Um, Wild, you remember uh, my friend John. Mm Mm-hmm. passed away a while back uh he was adopted but his mother was um older mm-hmm. already when they adopted yeah. him and she was uh she talked i remember him telling me stories of her telling him stories about the kennedy assassination mm-hmm. you know yep. and i'm like that's wild 1963 about... two weeks after i was born yeah yep yeah Hmm. <laughs> I just, I just kind of got thinking, like, hopefully we're not harbingers of doom, Mom, because the year I was born was when the uh, sh- the uh, shuttle Challenger exploded. So I remember. Hmm. <laughs> and Jessica in the well. Oh yes, the whole baby Jessica thing. Yep. That was a that was a yep. wild case. I bawled my eyes out because I. I can't remember if I had given birth to you yet or I was still pregnant, mm-hmm. but I just bawled and bawled and bawled because that was that was that little girl down there, and I either I had you because I knew I had a girl, mm-hmm. I, I, and I, I can't remember now the exact date that it happened, but I just I, I just I could so relate to that baby girl being down there, and it was like oh, and it just I was I was a wreck because I wanted Jessica McClure out of that little that well so badly, mm-hmm. and one of my um actually one of my favorite podcasts they did a whole episode of that maybe at some point we'll have to listen to it together because they they covered everything about it. Um, was it eighty six or eighty seven? She was born March twenty sixth, nineteen eighty six. Okay. So we're the same age. Yeah. Um, 
but she was, yeah, she was 18 months old. So it was 87. So it was 87. So I had you and I was pregnant for Thomas. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah. So I was holding you. Oh, so you're already you. emotional. I was already <laughs> emotional, Rack. I had an 18-month-old and I was pregnant with another month. So yeah. So I was holding on to you for dear life and... And I could so relate because I had this little baby girl mm-hmm. who was my whole world. And just having this other mother that I knew just had to be frantic. It was like... Terrified, yeah. Oh, I held you and I just prayed for her and her mommy that they got that baby out of there. So, yeah, that and the Challenger. And it was just, you know... It was an interesting year. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe that's what I should do. I should cover history of my birth year. That would be interesting, yeah. Yeah, but like you said, the Kennedy assassination was two weeks after I was born. Wow. Yeah. So, because when you had the podcast with, um, what's his face? um, Chris? Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. He got the Kennedy assassination date wrong. Uh. I want, uh, if it had been live, I would (laughs) have called and said, no, sir, you're wrong. (laughs) See, Chris, you're being called out by my mom. (laughs) Chris, you are. You go back and listen to it. You got the date wrong, the year wrong. And uh, I can't remember if you said 62 or 64, but your date is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Now you're looking that up too. (laughs) uh, It was 63. It was two weeks after I was born. Um, but yeah, and, and I noticed it immediately. I'm like, he's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's a music expert, not a history expert to be fair. Yeah, but he said he really, he was really into the Kennedy thing. Yeah, November 22nd, 1963. Yep. Yeah. That's okay, Chris. You can't be perfect on everything. You're allowed to be imperfect on one thing. (laughs) 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 But Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that was horror, horrifying too. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, what would you say is one of the like most historically significant things, like other than like nine eleven that you've lived through? That's something that like maybe stands out from like your childhood or teen years. Is there anything? Well, outside of nine eleven, I don't know if anything tops that. Because yeah. I can tell you the what exactly what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I can, and it literally was when time stood still. I mean, I, I was walking your sister in a stroller around the park. Yeah. And uh, it just, there was nothing in the air. There was nothing in, um, but. Yeah, I think that was the most disturbing the, thing is how normal the day felt. I think Oklahoma bombing. Oh yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah, yeah, I that Oklahoma, was the Oklahoma bombing. Um, because at that point in time, it was just the beginning of cell phone technology and stuff like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And and all of a sudden, yeah, that was in '95. Yeah, technology was yeah. just like. You know, coming and TV shows were breaking through and, you mm-hmm. know, the Oklahoma City, you know, Timothy McVeigh bombing of the, you know. You know, the big one I remember um, is the night Princess Diana died. Oh, yeah, because we were playing games. Yeah, uh, yeah. Chris and Jenny. Chris and Jenny. Yeah, yep, yep. I, I remember that. I remember, like, Tom and I were, like, watching a movie and all yes. of a sudden, like, the four of you kind of came in the room and were, like. Thomas, yeah, Thomas ran in. Because you guys were watching something and it broke in. Oh, okay. And Thomas ran in. He says, Mom, Princess Diana just died. And I'm like, no way. 
Yeah. And yeah. Okay. I, that all rings a bell. Yeah. I cried. Yeah. Be, I felt she had gotten done so dirty yeah. by them. And I, you know. I think a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Strongly she just, feel that way. Yeah. I just. And she, you know, I mean, from. I, and from what you and Andrea said the other day on the podcast, unless you're mm-hmm. under the bed or in the bed, you don't know what's going on. Yeah. And yes, and I will stand by that. You know, yeah. you don't know what happened in their marriage. And um, yeah, I think that's completely fair. And so, but from outside appearances, she seemed to be a lovely lady. And I, it was a sad thing. And yeah. two little boys and lost their mommy. Yeah. And it just, you know, that's heartbreaking. Anytime somebody loses their mommy, and it doesn't matter how old you are, it's always heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was that was something, too. And I'm just going to throw it out there, but when Prince died. Oh, yeah. When Prince died. I, I mm-hmm. No. Yeah. No, no, no. There, and, there's a few. So, ow. And, and Sean Connery. I was listening. I just had a rubber band that I was playing with Snap on me. And she's my daughter. <laughs> Go me. Ow. <laughs> but when Sean Connery died, it rocked me to my core, too, because yeah, I, I love Sean Connery. See, yeah, for, it would be much more significant for you than it was for me. But I, I've, the big ones for me, and it was Alan Rickman. It was really hard because you know I'm a I'm a big Die Hard fan yeah. mm-hmm. and and the Harry Potter yeah mm-hmm. Die Hard first though yeah <laughs> uh, but uh, the other one that got me weirdly and I think just because he was such a part of the nostalgia of my childhood was um, the guy from MythBusters who died um, oh my god I could kick my own ass for well, not remembering and if we're gonna go down this road elvis oh yeah i can tell you exactly what i was doing when i found out elvis died my mom was babysitting granny mahara okay yeah granny mahara okay yeah he was the like part of the b team that okay. did stuff yeah okay. he died uh july 13th in 2020 okay because 2020 sucked my mom was babysitting this um a friend's little girl and she come in to pick her up and she she looked at my mom she said did you hear the news my mom said no she says Elvis Presley died today oh wow and i was coming down the steps walking into the living room and i stopped and i looked at my mom and i looked back at the lady and i looked back at my mom like no it just didn't know, feel real it, it no yeah. I mean, he was so larger than life, you know, mm-hmm. and Elvis doesn't die. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Elvis is Elvis, you know, and that this, I think that was like the first big celebrity that, that you I remember? Re- remember dying. Yeah. It was like. I think it was Princess yeah. Diana for me. It was the mm-hmm. first like big one that I remember like acknowledging. Right. Right. You know, now it's, it's been too many to count, mm-hmm. especially as, you know, my interests have grown and I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I like so many different things. So. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and then, you know, as those things age, unfortunately, it happens. And... Yeah, and, and it's like, especially for me, mm-hmm. because, you know, like I said, I, I'll be 58 this year, mm-hmm. and the musicians that I listen to were probably 15 to 20 years older Mm-hmm. Than me. <laughs> Excuse me. So they're starting to say goodbye. Yeah. 
And that's hard. Mm-hmm. That's no, 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 no. And so it's difficult to kind of lose your icons. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. I think how much pop culture comes to mean to us, you know, it is. It, and I'm a huge country fan mm-hmm. and I like seventies, eighties mm-hmm. and early nineties country. And just today I hear, is that a brandy? That's a brandy. <laughs> um, I, I listen to Johnny Cash, Merle Haggard. Mm-hmm. They're gone. Yeah. You know, uh, Wayland's gone. Yeah. You know, all of these people um, are gone now. And George Jones. And George Jones has a song, Who's Gonna Fill Their Shoes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's nobody gonna <laughs> fill their shoes. No. Nope. Actually, um, I do listen to um, um, Hank the Third because he's kind of big in the punk scene. Mm-hmm. So... There you go. Yeah, I listened to he did a lot of different kinds of music, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's probably just as talented as his daddy and his granddaddy. He had a very unique voice. Yeah, exactly. A very it's interesting so cool and unique voice. It's so the way voice. they take it and make it their own. It is. And I love that. I, I, I just think that's so cool. Yeah, I think, um, I, I don't remember who I was talking about this with, but I was talking about like how weird that has to be to be like a third generation performer. Yeah. You know, and... I. I wonder, like, how much they've seen the industry change and yet not change right, right. over time. And it's it's got to be kind of a wild perspective mm-hmm. to have, mm-hmm. you know? Kind of like, like any children of, like, serial killers or things like that. It's, yeah. It's got to be a wild perspective to have and a different take entirely. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah. There's actually um, a documentary coming out that I really want to watch. And it's The Mothers of rock stars. And they're interviewing all the mothers of these major rock stars and like their roles in their lives and how they felt about the music and, and everything like that. And I really want to watch that. Mm-hmm. That, that would be sounds interesting. very interesting to me. I, you know, I, I think I've always been very supportive of my four kids. Oh yeah. And their choices yeah. of their careers. Yeah. I, I think I've always been their biggest cheerleaders as far as that goes. Now, their stupid mistakes, I don't, think I've, <laughs> I don't think I've had a problem being, saying, hey, you really want to go down that road? <laughs> and I think yeah. for a mom of a rock star, I can see myself saying, you go play that music. Mm-hmm. But I can also see, do you really want to shoot up? Exactly. And so I think that that would be a really hard one. Do do hard How do I support yeah. you? Being such a huge rock star, and not all rock stars went down that road, I get it. No, but, but I, the fear of, them, of it. Yeah, the yeah. fear of it, of living that lifestyle, that has to be a hard one from a mom's yeah. perspective. Because you do, that, you know, I don't care. wasn't even rock stars, though, like Karen Carpenter. Yeah, well, Karen, she she starved herself to death because yeah. she... She died of a heart attack, attack because years she, after the fact, because yeah. Because she had damaged her heart so bad mm-hmm. from being so thin. Yeah. And... So you there's pressure in that mm-hmm. life, you know, just in that there lifestyle. Is. Even is. if you're not on the rock star end of it, just performance art is mm-hmm. exactly it's heavy. You know, it can get real heavy sometimes. Yeah. So that that would be for me. Yeah, go live your dream. Mm-hmm. Go embrace it, attack it. Woo! But to definitely got sunburned. <laughs> but to to. 
I'm all for falling down and picking yourself back up. Mm-hmm. And I won't always catch you if you fall because you gotta learn. You've got to, yeah, you gotta learn. But at the same time, I'll be the first one to say that might be a stupid turn to take. Yeah, you know. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that would be an interesting, interesting documentary to watch. Yeah, I'm really interested. I think too sometimes because they've got to be heartbroken at the turns and and choices, you know, and then excited and exhilarated at the other turns. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything, like, I don't think there would be anything bigger, like, than for me than to see my kids achieve their goals there and their dreams. There is nothing, nothing like watching your babies make <laughs> their dreams. When I sit and I watch you do your thing, with, you know, when I when I walk into your shop and I see you with a client and I see you doing your thing, mm-hmm. I, I have never... Scott says it's like I'm a different person. He says it's like I, I like I switch into a totally separate mode. But for me, as a mom, mm-hmm. there is nothing on earth that makes me prouder. Yeah. There is nothing that I could achieve personally that would give me the sense of pride mm. that I feel at that moment when I see you doing what you do. <laughs> there, I you. could... I could achieve a gold medal and I still <laughs> would not be as proud watching you do what you do. It's just... There's something about being a mom and watching your baby succeed. <laughs> I just can't watching Thomas do his thing, Emma do her thing, Josh do his thing, and watching. It's just I say that is that's been the best part of being a parent so far. Yeah. Is I mean, Aiden was my bun that came pre-baked. You yeah, know? that's but yeah. you know it's it's been mm-hmm. so cool to see him go from yeah. from you know who he was and who he is and. I I remember you saying something to me like um, when I was like a teenager and I, and I feel very much the same now is that, well, I, I sometimes miss when he was small. I really like getting to know him now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really like, because we're getting into, the, he's getting into the age where I feel like I'm really getting to know who he is. Yes. You know, and, and what his character is like and if... You know, I did a good job. Or not. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's it's neat because, um, I mean, you were my firstborn, and mm-hmm. so I was learning as you were learning, and I'm still learning as you're learning. <laughs> um, but the neat thing is. Even though we struggled through your teen years and stuff, because I was learning how to be a mom to a teen, mm-hmm. and you were learning how to be a teen. Yeah. And, <laughs> I was learning how to be a but, person. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But even now, we're sitting here, we're talking mother-daughter, but we're also talking woman-to-woman. Mm-hmm. But we're also talking a 30-year-old woman to a, a 60-year-old woman. Mm-hmm. So we're at different stages, but woman to woman, mother to daughter, mm-hmm. you know, different paths of our lives. And it's interesting to how they all convene, but they're all different at the same time and how they weave in together. Yeah. So it's just, it's just really cool how it all blends in together, but it's mm-hmm. also different at the same time. And, and I, I enjoy getting to know you. And I think that is why I love the podcast so much. Mm-hmm. 
because listening to the podcast, I have learned things about you that I did not know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and no, I've loved every second of it um, yeah. because when you're in a family setting, mm-hmm. we don't always get the chance to sit and talk. Yeah. And so it's, it's like, oh, I didn't know that. That's Did you know cool. that I loved history the way that I love it? Yes, because we have sat and talked about that before. Yeah. And when I was going to school, um, we had talked about the history, and you asked me, what are you studying today or whatever, and we'd mm-hmm. talk about what I was discussing or learning in history. But um, but just little things that you mentioned here and there, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've learned, you know, different things, and I, I just, I think it's really exciting to learn about Brenna the woman. Yeah. And I love that. I love that aspect. I, I, I'm excited um, to to watch you grow, you know. So, and I can't wait to meet Brenna the 40-year-old and the 50-year-old and the 60-year-old. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm excited for that journey. And yeah. I think... I guess I am too. I very much am. I want to see, like, who my kids become. Exactly. You, you know? do very interested in seeing like who they develop and, mm-hmm. and how different and how alike you know who do you think out of the four of us that was the most like you oh wow because i know i mean we definitely all have you in us well <laughs> you do um i have no backbone mm-hmm. i have no backbone you two girls got it all <laughs> You gave it to us. <laughs> and I'm so glad. I'm so glad because mm-hmm. I will not say shit if my mouth is full of it. And you know it. I will not stick up for myself. Yeah. Um, my mom has told me from day one, girl, you need to get a backbone. Mm. Um, but both of you are strong and independent. So um, you have, I, I love to be creative, mm-hmm. but in different ways than you do. Yeah. I definitely attribute like my creativity, both you and dad, because you were both like, I know dad drew, but like you do your sewing and you've, you've always been somebody who needs a project and likes having something to do with your hands. I like, I like heirloom sewing. Yeah. I like, um, I'm, I'm learning to quilt now. I'm learning to play piano. Um, and DIY too. You do a lot of DIY stuff. I love DIY and crafts. I, I love power tools. Give me a power tool, baby. Woo! I love power tools. Woo! And, um... Keep it G-rated. You're my mother. No! Just give me a power tool. I'm so excited. It's like, give me a jigsaw. I would... I could... Oh, yeah. I can whip out stuff all day. I love it. Love building stuff. Um, Yeah. I love woodworking. I do. Um, I do to an extent. I don't... I think I've always been more interested in wood carving, but it's one of those things where I, I have too many interests so it's something that's like in the back of my mind and it's Mm -hmm. on my list Mm -hmm. of things that i want to learn right so i just did the dumplings yeah and i and i I figured out how to make chinese dumplings and uh, Mm -hmm. my next one is making this dessert and then i i the one after that is wood carving right exactly so i think josh got my music yeah because i love music yeah and he's definitely talented as snot Mm -hmm. um emma got my medical Mm-hmm. Because she's an EMT. Her interest in all things gross. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what can we say? You know, you know, you are I a medical person. I cannot watch the pimple popper video. When you, you know, you're medical when you can stand next to a person in surgery, have their whole innards tucked up next to your stomach, 
be suturing their intestines uh, back together and say, nope. I'm hungry. What are you having for lunch? Because nope. <laughs> it's just uh, a thing. I couldn't even be in the room with you when you had your your toe surgery, which was like 10 minutes. And I could not look up from my True book. story. <laughs> so, but Emma got my medical. Um, I didn't feel so bad on that one because you remember the assistant. Right. She had to leave they the room leave. too. But, and Thomas, I think, just got my curiosity and my outgoingness. Mm, yeah. And I, think, I would agree with that. I think he, um, he just, and he, I think he got, Thomas says, I, and I'm not saying you other three don't, mm-hmm. but he got, he has a tender heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he got, I mean, he was out here today playing with all the little kids, you know, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I was out here playing with them and running around with them too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he got, I don't know, he just. So I and he he likes to entertain also, yeah. You know, so I think he got that bug too. So yeah. I think y'all got kind of a a mix of me. I mm-hmm. I mean, uh, for better or for worse. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I, I and so I you know I think and Emma likes to be creative sometimes too. You know yeah. she she definitely she has does. a streak in her yeah. that once in a while yeah. she likes to. And, and I think Emma's a little more. Um, I would say she she's like got your love for like fashion and clothes and things yes, a little more than does. I did. I do to an extent, but mm-hmm. I have a very narrow, <laughs> and, a narrow style that I like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. and you do, and 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 that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. And, and like we were just talking about, forty year old Brenna mm-hmm. might go in a totally different direction. She might. She might. You never she know. Might. You know. Yeah. Because I know twenty year old Beverly had a totally different direction yeah. than almost 60-year-old Beverly does. So. You know, um, I, I talked about this with Dad, because Dad insists that um, his grandpa that passed away shortly before I was born mm-hmm. would have adored me. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but wonder how true that would be, because like I don't look conventional. I've never been a person that wanted to be conventional. So I'm constantly wondering like what my great grandparents would have thought of me, what my great, great grandparents would have thought of me. And if being an industrious, you know, person who, you know, had goals and, and went after her goals and, you know, made her family priority, if that would have been enough or if just the weirdness or the otherness, I guess, of how I choose to represent myself if I, that would have made I, a tear, you know? Speaking as a grandma, uh-huh. I don't think we would give a rat's rear what you look like. Yeah. I th- I think the character is what we want. Mm-hmm. And, and I... That's good to hear because I always I always wonder, like, I, I, I love my, my individuality and I, I love mean, my freedom, okay. but I've always worried, like, would it be something that separated me from... First of all... You know... Look back at the pictures of your ancestors in my family. They had bowl cuts. Okay? Yeah. (laughs) They they had pants that come up to their knees because they were too poor. Yeah. You know, they had, I mean, I mean, they... So you think they would, like, appreciate that I have the freedom to express myself? Yeah. In ways that they weren't maybe able to? I do. And I think that they would... They would respect you for getting out there and working for what you want because they worked for what they what they had. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't necessarily be they weren't able to work for everything they wanted because of the times. Yeah, and I know they had dreams. Mm-hmm. I know they wanted things. My grandma never had a set of wedding rings. Really? 
No. I didn't know that. Grandma Dodger never had a set of wedding rings. So when Mama and Daddy had their 25th wedding anniversary, they got remarried. Mm -hmm. And Mama gave Grandma her original set of wedding rings. Oh, wow. Okay. And so Grandma wore those up until right before she passed. And then she gave them back to Grandma. Or to my mom. Okay. And so... But grandma, my grandma. <laughs> yeah, yeah to, to your Nana. So, I mean, they, they had dreams, oh, yeah. but they just couldn't afford them. Yeah. And so I don't think, I can't see Grandma dodging, carrying judging one who, what your color hair was. Now, now I do remember when I was first born, <laughs> Grandma Dodgen wasn't going to accept a redheaded granddaughter. <laughs> and she made that quite plain, but... She loved and adored me. Yeah. And she just doted on me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but, at, and again, I think that went back to some of the myth about red hair. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, all the... That was still a thing then. Huh? That was still a thing then? Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. All the, okay. you know... I mean, because I, I knew it was like a thing like in Victorian times where it wasn't fashionable well, because it was kind I, of associated with ladies of the night. Well, <laughs> so. well not, not that per se, but mm-hmm. but redheads more being evil, I think, or sinister, especially mm-hmm. in, in the Deep South. Really? Yeah. I, I think that was it was more wicked or evil. I, I, I think that had something to do with it. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, so, yeah. God, Boss is going to love that. Hi. <laughs> oh, no. Boss you know, is that was my that. first play, Scott, was uh, The Wicked Witch of the West. So <laughs> I played her very well. Thank you very much. But, um, uh, yeah, Boss always, always, yeah, like, so, teases me about being a, a natural redhead. But, and... uh, I think, I think, I think that had something to do with it, that she was not going, she, I mean, she quite plainly stated that she was not going to accept a redheaded granddaughter, but she did. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, Grandma adored me and loved me, and uh, mm-hmm. so, and then, you know, there were other redheaded grandbabies after that, but um, mm-hmm. but I, I was the original, and uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it just I think that they had dreams, and I, and they worked hard. They mm-hmm. worked hard for everything they had. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a lot, but they worked hard for what they had, and they were all about working for what you wanted mm-hmm. and being independent and being self being reliant. Your own person. Yes, and so I don't think that they would have any problems with you being you and going for what you wanted, and they admired strong people. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, I don't think there was any stronger woman than my grandma, than yeah. both grandmas. And they picked cotton. They were now, my, Grandma, your nana never picked cotton, but mm-hmm. Grandpa Tom picked cotton. Yeah, he was out there in the fields with the Grandma and Grandpa Hall picking cotton. Mm-hmm. Um, I so, don't know as much about Grandpa Tom's side of the family. Yeah, he'll tell you. He'll tell you. You get him talking sometime. He'll tell you. I've tried a few times, and like we get started on it, and. He kind of, Grandpa definitely has ADD because he, he fixates and then he loses, yeah, he loses track. And then he only wants to talk about this one thing Mm -hmm. and then he forgets the overall story. That's happened a few times. I don't think he has a lot of good childhood memories. I think his childhood was very hard. Yeah. Yeah. I I would believe that. Some of his brothers actually ran away at a very young age because of it being so hard. Yeah. So I think that. There's not a lot of good memories there to bring up. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I he talks start. about his military service probably the most that that I've heard. Yeah, yeah. like I think he's proud of what he did. Yeah, um, you know he was a diesel mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think he's proud of going through the Panama Canal, mm-hmm. going to the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, I think that he he felt you know coming from you know. Um, uh, you know, Wooster, Arkansas, that he, he, he had... It was part of something? Yeah, he was part of something. And I think that's what we all want to feel like. Yeah, we part of something. Feel, yeah, we want to feel like we made a difference somewhere, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, I think I think that really, you know, made him feel good that he did something. Yeah. So I, I, I just, I think that's, you know, and I think, I mean, going back to the Code Talkers... It made them feel good that they did something. Yeah. They're part of something. Yeah, they were a part of something that they were able to contribute mm-hmm. to the land that they love. Yeah. So. Well, that rounded out nicely. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to wrap this up then. And thank you so much for thank sitting you. in with me and thank uh, you. let me tell you a story. It was an honor. Thank you. <laughs> It's a fun thing to do. I really like it. It's it's interesting. I like learning new things. I like researching things deeper. I like taking something I thought I knew something about and really investigating more into it. I think that's that's cool. But I hope, you know, more than anything, I just hope that this gets other people curious and kind of exploring and, and you know, looking more into history for themselves. And there's so much out there we don't know. Yeah. There's so much out there. Well, there's so much out there that, honestly, we just can't cover it all, Mm-mm. you know, in one life. There's just no way, yeah, you isn't. know? So there isn't. I kind of feel like it's this mad dash down a hallway and just you're just grabbing what you can and learning as it much is. as you can along the way. It is. So slow down, take your time and read and yeah. learn. And talk to your grandparents. Yes. <laughs> talk to your parents. Learn about yourself. Yes, and be good to your children while they're young Mm. because they're going to be the ones taking care of you when you're old. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you know. (laughs) I love you, Brenna. I love you, too. You know, there's a couple whoopee cushions maybe in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for having me on. Not a problem. Thank you for for coming on, like I said. Um... Just to uh, remind everybody, you can follow me at um, the Wicked Side on Instagram. It's probably the account I'm most active on, but I'm also pretty active on the Wicked Myth Facebook page. I know I say every episode I'm working on it. I swear I am, <laughs> but uh, eventually we'll get that changed around. And otherwise, you can always email me at wickedmythpodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in coming on the show and being a guest host, I'd love to have you. And I have a long list of really interesting topics you can always pick from. Or if you have something that you'd like to talk about yourself, you can let me know and we'll both research it together. So, all right, everybody. Well, thank you for listening uh, to everybody who's coming back and listening again. I appreciate you. And uh, you all have a good night and we'll see you on the other side. <laughs>